From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. It's Tuesday, November 28, 2023. I'm Crash Waggish Connell. <laughs> I need to look that up. I don't I know what too. that means. Yeah, Julaine. I got she Julaine used those big words. I gotta look that up. So Mary Danielson is back in the studio with a fresh new podcast. Hundred mm-hmm. percent natural, no preservatives. Um, we are here today to talk to Julaine Appling. She's back with us. She's got her finger on the pulse of several issues of importance to Wisconsin and the nation. Of course, so goes one state, so goes the nation, it seems these days. I have a scripture verse to open with today, and we're going to pray and welcome uh, Julaine. I'll tell you a little bit about her if you're not aware of who she is, and then we're going to jump in. So my scripture this morning is Psalm 66, 1 to 4. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Selah. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we come before you with really nothing of our own. Uh, but we ask that you would fill us with your spirit today so that we can serve you and serve others um, in a way that glorifies you and pleases you, Lord. Thank you that you equip us with everything that we need for life and godliness. We lift up those who are sick and struggling and we pray for a healing touch on their lives. We lift up our guest, Julaine, and her loved ones. Uh, just, Lord, to ask you for uh, wisdom for her, protection, continued grace to serve you in any capacity that you have called her to. Thank you for her witness and, and labors for your kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Again, Julaine Appling is back with us. She's president of Wisconsin Family Council and Wisconsin Family Action. During the nearly 10 years uh, she spent in the classroom in Wisconsin, she taught on the junior high, high school, and college levels. Um, uh, special areas were history, government, English, and education courses. Uh, she was the administrator of a private school as well. In 1997, she came to work at the Wisconsin Family Council as director of office operations and the following year became executive director of the WFC. And the sites are WIFamilyCouncil.org and WIFamilyAction.org. Julaine, welcome back to Stand Up. Well, thank you, Mary. Appreciate that. Good to be with you folks again. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Yes, yes. I, um, I have the residue of what I did on Thanksgiving, <laughs> which is on the couch with many blankets, Kleenex, aspirin, <laughs> you name it. But such is life in the great white north. Um, it wouldn't be fall without a head cold or whatever that was we had. I think the flu. So <laughs> anyway, but here, you know, vertical today, feeling much better. And I know we want to jump in and talk about something we haven't had a chance to connect on, and that is the Ohio abortion referendum. Um, and I'm glad we have a chance to review this because uh, it's so easy to move from election to election and forget what happened and even more so to follow up or connect any dots later on. So, Julaine, if you would just help us out here by um, telling us what actually happened, you know, refresh our memories sure. on the on this constitutional amendment. 
Okay. Well, first of all, glad you're on the on the upswing on <laughs> whatever it is you've been dealing whatever with, Mary. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So lots of stuff going around right now. Yeah, there is. Um, you know, look, in early November, a number of states had different referenda on it. Some some states actually had voting for governors and things like that. But um, Ohio's was interesting because this was, you know, Ohio's a red state. It's been reliably red for you know, for a decade, obviously, maybe maybe two, three decades, maybe for even longer than that. But um, so this one was a little bit, th- this referendum that they had stung maybe a little bit more than some of the others where we we maybe thought that an abortion referendum would would sail through because it's a blue state Mm -hmm. but ohio had a referendum on the ballot that would put a right to abortion in their state constitution and you know i i think everybody probably understands when you do that when you put when you put something in a state constitution, you're, in, you're ensconcing it mm-hmm. in the highest l- level of the law that you have. Just as our state, our U.S. Supreme Court is the highest law of the land, so our state supreme, our state constitutions are the highest law of the land. <clears throat> and so, um, th- this was a um, hotly, hotly debated and um, issue throughout the campaign. There was a lot of money spent by those wanting to have the so-called right and so-called freedom to intentionally kill an unborn baby. Mm-hmm. Um, they spent millions and millions of dollars, Mary, on this mm-hmm. to try to get people to vote yes. And there were there was an incredible pro-life effort, a coalition that worked tirelessly with far less funding mm-hmm. to push the message out that this was a very dangerous amendment, that it was going to do a lot more than just make abortion a right in the Constitution. Um, and, and Ohio, it's so new in Ohio that it, you know, we haven't seen all of the things that are going to come. Mm-hmm. But one of the things they said was, look at what happened in Michigan when they were doing the campaign is Michigan put a right to abortion in their constitution. And when they were doing that, they said, Oh no, no, we won't touch any of the regulations that are on the books, like parents rights, you know, um, 24 hour notice, um, you know, and like we have here, ultrasound requirement or a 20 week ban. We won't touch those. Well, it was, you know, the ink was hardly dry on the amendment there to the Michigan constitution. When, all of a sudden, the legislature started passing those kinds of laws to undo those regulations. Whoa. So Ohio was trying to warn people. But unfortunately, uh, earlier this month, when the vote happened on the first Tuesday in November, uh, the people of Ohio said, we want the so-called right, the so-called freedom to intentionally kill an unborn child. Mm-hmm. And, and Mary, uh, my peer there, Aaron Baer, uh, was a important leader in the pro-life coalition that was working to defeat this because this is one that needed to be defeated and he he's done a little bit of an analysis analysis on what happened and um full disclosure i asked him if i could share some of it and one of the things that they found when they were doing what you know we call it a a post-mortem um was that 47.5% of the people who voted believed life begins at conception. Hmm. 47.5. So, and and by the way, the amendment failed um, 
5545. All right? Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me, the amendment did not fail. The amendment passed mm-hmm. 5545. Sorry about that. So 47.5% of those uh, who voted said they agreed that life begins at a conception. But here's the other part. 61% of them said that the government shouldn't get in between a woman and her doctor. So, okay, so what you're seeing here, Mary, is a couple things. Messaging matters. Okay. Number two, 50 years of people in our country being told that the right to intention, that, that intentionally killing an unborn child is a right and it's part of our inherent freedoms Mm -hmm. has, is very hard to undo in a year and a half. All right since Dobbs was handed yeah. down in June of 2024. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one other, there was one other piece of information that came out that, um, I believe it was 24% of people who identified as evangelicals voted for the amendment. Wow. 24%. Wow. That, that to me is, um, just, just heartbreaking, yeah. heartbreaking because what it means is our, even our, Churches are not communicating the re, the truth that at the moment of conception, a, a human being, a person stamped with the image of our incredible creator, God, um, th- th- ha- that hasn't been communicated clearly to people mm-hmm. so that they understand whether it's through rape or incest or, or however the conception happens at that very moment of fertilization. That's a human being in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And deserves protection. Um, so to just to sum, summarize this, this was the seventh amendment to a state constitution in the last year, because we had them in November of 2022. I don't think we had any in the spring, but we did this fall in 2023. Seventh one that either there were, there were two types. There were amendments that were going to, um, legalize abortion in the state constitution and then there were some amendments that were going to prohibit abortion and that was going to be in their state constitution life lost on all seven wow wow life lost on all seven so we have we as christians have an incredible messaging opportunity I'm not going to call it a challenge because it really is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. We need to help the people in the pews next to us on, or in the chairs, however your service is set up, or in your Bible studies, or in your small groups, or whatever it is, to understand the biblical truth of this issue. This is a basic worldview issue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, if evangelicals can't get it right, Mary, what, what you know, yeah. from a human perspective, what hope do we have? Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. And it's so ironic that people say, well, this is a right. This is, you know, reproductive rights that we are, you know, this is a right. And yet we need the permission of the Democrats and the progressives to make it a right. Women need the Democrats to make it possible for them to do this. It's the strangest thing. One key issue here, there's an article, P, it says Ohio voters enshrine abortion access in Constitution, in latest state, enshrine, that's just a horribly offensive. But it says here the key issue, Democrats got more evidence that they can win races centered on the national debate over abortion. How pragmatic is that? So they just got um, a go-ahead, you know, that this is what wins races for them. And uh, that, that just it just kind of makes you ill. But I, I, I think even though it's enshrined, 
in these constitutions. Jelaine, it's not really the end of the conversation, is it? Because it, they make it sound like it's signed, sealed, and delivered, and the door is slammed shut on any other alternatives. <laughs> it's not the end of the conversation, though, is it? It's not the end of the conversation, and it's not the end of the way that our elections have to go either. Right. We, but we, but we who are pro-life have to get messaging out there that talks about the reality, the the biological reality that life begins at the moment of conception. And uh, look, it's not it's not always easy to have these discussions. It's not always easy to communicate that kind of truth. Um, we have to have people who have survived abortions talk about, you know, really, we have to have those that somehow a survived abortion start talking about it. We need people who were born as a result of a rape or an incest to talk about how, how, um, glad they are that their mother chose life in spite of a horribly difficult situation. Mm-hmm. We need people who have experienced, um, the, the going into one of these clinics and saying, you know, this doesn't feel right. And stepping back out and saying, I, I, I've got to think this through more. I've got to make a better choice. I need to have more facts. Uh, we need those people to begin speaking out as well. We need, we need people to begin understand. And, and I'm going to go back to this. See, enshrining gives this, when, when you use that word, that's kind of like the highest level of word you could use. Right. 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 So, because what it says to people, this is a right that is so important. Mm-hmm. We have to give it the highest level of commendation. And, and we have to break through that. No, there is no constitutional right anywhere mm-hmm. inherent to kill an unborn baby, to kill a human person. And um, we have allowed this talk of right and freedom to, to usurp, <laughs> usurp truth mm-hmm. um, in, in a sense in the, in the culture. And, and we need to re- do what we can to rest that back. It it may not happen overnight, Mary, but yeah. we have to keep working at it. Mm-hmm. In America, as you well know, and, and all of your team there at Q90 knows, when you use the word right and freedom in America, that resonates. It does. Right? Those yeah. terms resonate. We value our freedom. We value our rights. Mm-hmm. But there are some rights that are inherent, that are inalienable, mm-hmm. to use the word in our, our, um, Declaration of con- uh, our, our Declaration of Independence, an inalienable right, and life from the Creator God is one of them, mm-hmm. and no one has the right to destroy that that life. The other thing I'll quickly mention is here in Wisconsin, you know, we have this, um, we have our ban, our pre-row ban on the books, right. and it and it's being it should be being enforced now, but of course Planned Parenthood in Milwaukee and Madison have taken it upon themselves to break the law, think they're above the law, to ignore the rule of law, and begin doing abortions, even though we have a and, though we have no decision on the lawsuit. All right, but one of the things that we've seen happen in this last year and a half here is we have the pro-abortion people convincing the medical people that. They can't help women who are having a miscarriage or they can't help women that are in an ectopic pregnancy situation. Those aren't abortions. Mm-hmm. Right. Those, those are not abortions at all. Mm-hmm. The, the medical field, unfortunately, uses the term spontaneous abortion for, right. a, for a miscarriage, yeah, right? They do. Uh-huh. So people get confused. I had a lady text me behind the scenes not quite a year ago and said, I had a miscarriage. Did that mean I killed my baby? Oh my goodness. My heart broke for yeah. But see, they, they, the, the pro-abortion people are so aggressive on this. So they get the medical people out there talking about it, saying our law prevents us from even helping a woman. No, no, 
No, no, no. Our law does not prevent that. Wow. So um, we have a bill out there to clarify that. We'll see if, if it gets to the governor's desk. I'm sure he'll veto it. But we have to keep trying on those things. So mm-hmm. I wanted people to know about what's going on. I don't want people to be discouraged. We need we need to work hard. We need to help candidates learn how to message this and not run away from it. Yeah. One of the things that happens is candidates that are otherwise conservative get told by their their consultants and advisors, oh, don't, don't, don't talk about it. So here you have the Democrats, just as you mentioned, Mary, using the intentional killing of an unborn child mm-hmm. to win a political race. Yeah. How low can you go? Yeah. How low yeah. can you go? It's absolutely sick. Yeah. It is. We're better than that. I like to think we're better than that anyway. Wow. Well, it's just now um, we said that this is seventh. Ohio is the seventh state where voters decided to protect access. Uh, do you know of any because this is going to continue on this uh, trajectory is for the foreseeable future, of course, until something turns around. Um, are there any more that you know of coming up in 2024? Yeah. 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 Um, I know of two, Florida and Arizona. Okay. And by the way, those are the, so Florida is what color, Mary? Yeah. <laughs> red, right? I mean, right. really, really red. Yeah. Bright red. <laughs> um, and Arizona is kind of like us. They're, they're, they're more red than we are right now. Uh, they're a little purple, but they, they're tinged more red. <laughs> um, but they have one on there. And I think there are a couple of other states as well. I suspect there'll be four or five states that, that have that, hmm. uh, some form of that, either to, to, um, quote, enshrine the right to an abortion or to ban abortion or prohibit abortion in their state. Um, Look, uh, when you get a few wins like this uh, under your belt, it emboldens everybody, right? Yes. So, yeah. 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 Wow. Uh, You're listening to Stand Up for the Truth. My name is Mary Danielson. We're talking to Jelaine Appling. Wisconsin Family Council with FamilyCouncil.org. And uh, there's a good chance to mention here that their 2023-24 legislative directory download is available on that website if you want to contact your representatives and find out where they stand on things like this. This is a great thing. It just You just put your name and your email address in. It comes into your email box, and you can download that in case you want to. So it's a great uh, resource to be able to get a hold of those who can uh, have an effect on these things. So, um, Julaine Appling with us today. So, Julaine, that's definitely worth looking into. Uh, I want to go on to this um, uh, young woman who is suing UW docs for violating informed consent regarding um, medically, uh, regarding her trans surgery. And here's the headline. Woman says UW doctors perform gender-altering surgeries without proper consent. Um, I mean, what... Basically, um, Wisconsin has a bill, I do believe, Jelaine, uh, that procedures, transgender procedures are illegal for those under 18. But tell us a little bit about this story. What happened? Um, she's 23. Uh, she had her uterus and breast removed at UW Hospital. She had a self-diagnosis of gender dysphoria. Um, you, know, you know the drill and all that stuff. It was, um, she said, was not confirmed by a doctor. And so now she's suing, alleging that they operated on her without Proper informed consent. I don't even know what that means anymore. Julian, break this down for us. Well, yeah, I, I find this case fascinating, Mary, and hmm. I'm glad I'm glad we have one. Um, this woman is not a minor, and she was not a minor when she had these procedures. Okay. I want to make sure everyone listening knows that. 
because the bill you're referring to is the bill we call the Help Not Harm Bill, which would prohibit medical personnel from performing surgeries or prescribing cross-sex hormones or puberty blockers for minors. Now, that has passed in the Assembly and the Senate, but has not yet gone to the governor. Um, Unfortunately, I'm pretty sure he'll, in fact, he's already come out and said, and when it reaches his desk, he will veto it. Um, And that's on him. That's not on our legislature. So um, there are a number of states that have passed these kinds of of measures to protect minors. But what I think is interesting about this one is the fact that she was not a minor, but as a 23-year-old, looking back over, I think she was 19 and 20 or 21 when she had those surgeries, um, she understands that when she had those surgeries, the medical personnel involved with her did not give her enough information for her to be able to make what we would consider a decision fully informed. Hmm. For instance, in one article I read, she said no one told her that she would never be able to have a baby. Wow! Now, that's a pretty significant piece of information for a, for a doctor, a surgeon, to leave out when you are talking about a 19 or 21 year old mm-hmm. who are entering, you know, the, the time when we expect them to be in the, the very best childbearing years. And, and so she has sued her doctors at the UW for not giving her enough information. And there are a couple of other things that she, uh, allegations she's made against the doctors as well. But I think the informed consent is incredibly important because if you notice, and even in that article that you just uh, referred to, she was self self diagnosed, yeah, right? Okay, so she didn't go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and and talk about this issue. She was dealing with gender confusion, trying to um, somehow bring into sync her emotions with her biology. Hmm. And, and by the way, we know that left alone, somewhere between, and I'm going to give a. a, a quite a spread here because I see so many numbers, but somewhere between 88 and 95% of people, young people in particular, who are struggling with gender confusion, if left alone, will eventually come to understand and accept and be fine with their biological sex. Mm-hmm. But instead, medical personnel and you know, so often even well-intentioned parents are stepping in here and their, their children and young adults, if you will, are making decisions that are absolutely life altering. Yeah. You have a 19, you have a 23 year old who can never have children, has mutilated, has her body mutilated, and now realizes she accepts being female. This is a case that will be very, very interesting to see how this works through our courts here. Yeah. Now, there may be others across the country where Similar cases have been brought. I I don't know of them. That does not mean they're not out there. I just don't. I haven't heard about them. Mm-hmm. So I, I I'm glad this case is here. At some point, this is going to um, this is going to go to before our state supreme court. It's going to be uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch this um, as it goes through there. But here's one thing I'll say. I think this young woman is incredibly brave. Don't you, Mary? Yeah. Don't you believe she's yeah. brave to bring this lawsuit? Yes. Who goes up against a UW medical? Yes. 
at the hospital, you know? Right, right. And she said, the article says she had a series of traumatizing events in her childhood home, in her home life, her upbringing was very, very difficult. So she had anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder to begin with. And so she diagnosed herself, um, and then she uh, was, at age 17, she was given uh, testosterone uh, in Chicago. Um, And it... You know, to not treat what actually happened, but to make this, what she decided then after that, and is now regretting, the the solution for the problem is is something very unique to this time that we're living in. I, you know, people have been going through traumatizing events as children for a very very long time. Unfortunately, at the hands of adults, it's just it's despicable. But nevertheless, now. Um, now they're thinking that, oh, I must be the wrong gender. And I'm thinking, wow, who, whoever proposed that that's the answer to something completely relatively unrelated to what you're saying. And I guess that's what breaks my heart um, is what the it is a symptom of something. Uh, but I'm glad to see it going to the court. Well, it is it is a symptom of something. And, you know, um, boy. The, the fall, right? The mm-hmm. depravity of, yeah. of mankind. And right. so, so what often happens in these situations is that the, a child is abused by male or female or whatever. And they say, well, the answer to that is to be the opposite of what that, of who, of right. who I am. Right. And so I think this is one of the most significant strikes against the creative order that there is. Hmm. The opening chapters of the book of beginnings, Genesis, God's holy, you know, inerrant word tells us very clearly that God created male and female. That's it. He created them with reproductive capability. And, and incredibly, what we talk about here is, as we talked about in the previous segment, the uniqueness of the reproductive capability of male and female as humans is that results in a human being stamped with the image of God. The animal kingdom reproduces, but their offspring are not stamped with the image of God. Mm -hmm. And that's why scripture says that the work, the, his, his crowning creative act, God's crowning creative act is humanity. We were made just a little lower than the angels. And so when, when people start, and I believe devil, the devil's at the heart of this, Proposing this idea that everything will be okay if you just get, if you just change your sex. Because when you were, uh, when, when you were born, you were born in the wrong body. Yeah. See, that's, that's saying God made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we have Christian young people believing that, that somehow we serve a malevolent God who, who makes mistakes or else is just, just outright, outright mean mm-hmm. and traps a man in a woman's body or a woman in a man's body mm-hmm. and then sits back and chortles and says, now try to get out. Yeah. Good luck with That's that. That's not our right. God. Right. And that, and so we have the hopelessness and the despair in our culture today is very real. You know, we talk about mental health and these are part of it because we have, as you said, We've looked at the symptoms and come up with the wrong cause, and therefore we have the wrong treatment. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I, I you know, pe- young people like this, they they need our prayers. Uh, they've had a very rough start in life, and and the trajectory of their life has been now this uh, one of of sorrow and suffering and depression, and and it's very very heartbreaking. And 
Um, I encourage people to pray for this young woman, pray for this suit, and see what God can do because uh, the Lord can turn her life around. He's the only one who can turn her life around at this point, but it really does break my heart that someone um, would go through such trauma. And, and adults who are, are supposed to be trustworthy, people in these professions are supposed to be trustworthy, and it just it's just another um, smackdown on the road of life. So I would encourage people to pray um, for this young woman and uh, the outcome of this lawsuit. Is there a time frame on it, Julian? We have to take a break in a second here, but do you know how long uh, this is No, there's no time frame. No, it'll have to work its way through the system. Yeah, and that could take, uh, who knows how long that could take. But. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, this is Mary Danielson. We're talking to Jelaine Appling today, Wisconsin Family Council, Wisconsin Family Action. And we have quite a few things that we still want to discuss in the second half. Uh, so far, we've talked about the Ohio abortion referendum uh, analysis and um, this case, a uh, woman suing UW Docs. We want to talk about school choice lawsuit. We want a, an update on the Wisconsin Family Council offices firebombing 18 months ago. I can't believe we've been talking about it that long. And we want to talk about education in general. The DPI issued state report cards on the public schools. The Fox is still guarding the hen house. Um, on that, so we want to talk about uh, mediocrity in education, such as it is. We want to talk about that satanic temple tree in Ashwabanon, how bizarre that is, um, and a few other things. There's a primary election in February. So uh, we're going to be uh, absent here for two minutes. We're going to hear from our sponsors, and then we are going to come back with more from Julaine Appling. Stay with us. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com This is Mary Danielson. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. Praying that my voice holds out for the second half. We have Julaine Appling with FamilyCouncil.org, with FamilyAction.org. And she is just, um, she's a statewide treasure here because she is just up on so many things that affect our lives and the next thing, Julaine, I want to talk about is school choice is under attack in Wisconsin. Uh, the parental choice program began in 1990, just with the city of Milwaukee, but has expanded over the years. Um, and there's a challenge to the state Supreme Court. Uh, Ask the court to shut down the school choice program within the next year. Julaine, what is Wisconsin's school choice program and why in the world do they want to shut it down unless it has to do with tax money? I don't know. Tell us about that. Well, this is one of my favorite things to talk about because I think it's one of <laughs> one of the best things that's happened in education in Wisconsin. But I'm going to give people just a little bit of history, and this is for people whether they live in Wisconsin or not, because we were the first state to have a what we call a parental choice program, and in the vernacular, we call it our voucher program. Right. Okay. Where the the money truly follows the child. Um, this was initiated back in the 1990s with an African-American state legislator from Milwaukee. Her name was Annette Polly Williams. And she saw what was happening to the education of her people in our largest city and said, something's got to be done about that. So she put together an, an, a, a wonderful bill that would allow parents to receive a voucher from the state made payable to a private school of the parent that has applied and gone through the all the rigmarole you have to do to be able to accept voucher students mm-hmm. and, and um, accept them into the school so that their child could get the very best education possible. So um, it's withstood 
uh, court challenges all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, I believe. But I know at least at the state level, religious schools are also able to be participants in that. So, so now for um, over well over thirty years, we've had people. And, and and by the way, if originally it was just for the city of Milwaukee, then it um, ex- and then and the Walker administration expanded beyond that out into Milwaukee County. Under the Walker administration, we added another program in Racine. And then the coup de grace on this was that under the Walker administration, they added a statewide program. The statewide, and, and this is largely right now for low income families. They have to meet a certain um, threshold level relative to the poverty level. And um, for the most part, um, and there's a cap, by the way. So like in my school district in Watertown, we can only have a certain percentage of the school age children in a, in the voucher program. Okay. All right. So mm-hmm. until 2025, then the cap's gone. So this has been incredibly su- su- successful. There's tens of thousands of students. I think it's over 60,000 students right now across Wisconsin who are in a school using a voucher. The vouchers are less than the average per pupil cost of education. The average per pupil cost of education in Wisconsin depends on what numbers you look at, but it's anywhere from twelve to fifteen thousand dollars. Probably closer to the fifteen for you know in, in on average in Wisconsin. There isn't a voucher that is fifteen thousand. The highest one right now for this year is uh, a little over twelve for high school students. So this has been an incredibly helpful program. Letting, giving parents who would never be able to send their children to a school of their choice unless there was this voucher program. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is liberals hate it. They think the only good school is a public school. Right. The only school that should receive public money and, 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 you know, tax, quote, taxpayer money at all ever is a public school. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you ask the public sector, public educators, you always need, say you need more money. Could you tell me, please, how much more would make you happy? Right. And the only answer they can tell you is more. That's right. So, so, um, so here we, so here we have this program that's been in effect of, you know, all of the, the new parts were under the Walker administration statewide in Racine and the, a little expansion there in Milwaukee. But generally the, it, the whole program. And, oh, by the way, there's a special needs program now too for the voucher program. That was added under the Walker administration. So um, they have this brewery up in Manaqua that has a super PAC and it's run by liberals and they hate the voucher program. They hate it. So they filed a lawsuit last month claiming that it is constitutionally illegal for the voucher program to exist in Wisconsin because it is depriving public schools of money. Well, uh, I find <laughs> I find this absolutely mind boggling. <laughs> um, private schools figure out how to educate. Well, the vast majority of them educate students very well. Right. Yeah, right. And, and they figure out how to do it on the money that they have available instead of going out and constantly asking for more, 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 more. Right. But the public schools ha- want to uh, they assume th- that taxpayers have very deep pockets and that. They must give, 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 give into this abyss yeah. of public education. Right. So this lawsuit has been filed directly with our state Supreme Court. Now, that's unusual. However, we're getting more and more of these happening. 
um, going directly to our Supreme Court in Wisconsin. And Mary, you know why? <laughs> because in August, our court flipped from conservative right. to liberal. Mm-hmm. So this is what they call a direct action petition. So they skip the, the district court or the county court. They skip going through the appellate and they go directly to the Supreme Court. And the reason, oh, this is so important. And we want you to get rid of this program in this lawsuit by before the school year of 2024. So you need to take it directly because we know it's going to end up with you anyway. Wow. Now, the Supreme Court has a right to say yes or no. They'll accept it. So far, the Supreme Court has not said anything relative to accepting this case or denying it. So it's just sitting out there for them to consider. But interestingly, Governor Evers last week, it's either last week or the week before, filed a brief with the Supreme Court saying, don't take this case. (laughs) There's no emergency and you are going to throw everything into turmoil if you take this case and proceed with it. Put it back at the district court and let it work its way through the normal court process. That was a stunner. Mm. Now, I will say this. Governor Evers is really, he is not inherently a fan of the voucher program, of any kind of school choice. Sure. But in the budget, the he negotiated with the Republicans a deal that would increase the budget for public schools, also increasing the amount of the vouchers. Oh, and he signed off on it. He did not. He did not veto that. So he's got a little bit of a deal going there. You know that he got more money from the Republicans for his his schools. So he gave some more to the voucher program. And um, I think at this point he, he doesn't really want this whole thing messed with. Wow. So, um, <laughs> wow, this yeah. is uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I honestly hope the Supreme Court says no. First of all, I just want to explain. If we make, and and by the way, this is not the first lawsuit. The legislative maps went directly to the Supreme Court. This went directly to the Supreme Court. There's another one out there, I believe, that also went directly to the Supreme Court. And if this, this this is not a healthy pattern. Mm -hmm. Our court system is designed to work from the fact, remember, the Supreme Court is not a fact-finding court. Right. They, they deal with the facts that are established at the, right. the district court. Mm-hmm. So if th- this is unsettling and mm-hmm. they're just doing it for political purposes because they know they've got a friendly court. And so they want to push the, I'm, I'm praying, I'm hoping that the, uh, the justices on our state Supreme Court will actually understand some of these things and deny some of these at the, going directly to them and say, look, you can file the court case, but you aren't starting here. If you want mm-hmm. to do it, you got to go back to district court. Wow. Very interesting and well worth watching. I'm still scratching my head over the Monaco Brewing Company Super PAC. <laughs> I know. What What <laughs> in the world? You know, I did not expect to see something like that. They're the ones uh, that want to destroy Wisconsin's choice program. I don't quite get that. I know there's probably more to it, well. but... There uh, is, and I'm sure there is, but this guy has, this guy has engaged in elections, um, before he started, and, and anybody can start a super PAC. I mean, if you do it, do it the way it needs to be done. And, um, I, I, I think he's just, he's just trying to, as hard as he can to advance his liberal agenda. Sure. Um, yeah, throw something know? at the wall, see if it sticks. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so they're, but, but they're, 
Well, unfortunately, let me talk positively just for a minute about Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty has immediately jumped in, and they have actually asked to be interveners in it. Now, interveners Mm. in a lawsuit of this nature doesn't make them a a direct party, but it's the next best thing. Because then they can do, they can be engaged in in, uh, filing briefs and all kinds of things that friends of the court or amici cannot be. Mm -hmm. So, um, they've already made the case for asking the court, number one, don't take the case. But if you do take the case, then at least let us intervene in it. So, on behalf of, well, and they're, and they're representing Parents who have kids in voucher schools, sure. teachers that are involved with voucher schools, and other interested parties um, that are promoting educational freedom. Okay. Very interesting. So. We need to keep our eyes on that, and I'm sure we'll have Julian on again, and we'll keep an eye on this, how it's going. Julian, I want to ask you about the firebombing case. You may not be able to say a lot about that, but there is a little bit of an update after 18 months here. What can you tell us about uh, the latest on that? Well, <laughs> um, last... Monday, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday, I think it was Monday, the um, U.S. Attorney's Office publicly re- um, well filed a plea agreement in this case. So the individual that they arrested in March when he was getting on a plane in Boston with a one-way ticket to Guatemala uh, um, after they had matched his DNA to mm-hmm. a half-eaten burrito in Madison. Oh, right, right, right. Um, okay. <laughs> right. It's like an NCIS story. Yeah, right? It really is. Um, yeah. So... He's been held in custody here in Wisconsin since they arrested him in March. The, he entered into a plea agreement. Now, a plea agreement just says, basically, this is what I intend to do before the court. So that became public on last Monday. So this Friday is the court hearing in federal court in Madison. So um, this individual will be brought before the judge, and um, the the assumption is that he will plead guilty at that time. So we have not made any kind of a formal statement about any of this. Um, We will do so after the uh, court hearing on the 1st, this Friday, at 1 o'clock at the federal courthouse in downtown Madison. But at least it's movement on Mm -hmm. this case. Mm -hmm. Um, I can tell you that there are two other sets of DNA that they have found. They found at the scene of the at the scene at my office yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when my personal office was the one that they chose to firebomb. Um, but there's, it's, so this case is not closed. Okay. Even if some, you know, no matter how this part of it goes. So um, I think it's hopeful for people who are watching, not just here in Wisconsin, but around the country. Uh, we've been dismayed at how, you know, slowly these things have, have, have moved and finding the perpetrators against pro-life organizations, especially churches and pregnancy care centers. We were unique in that we're neither of those, but we are, you know, a policy organization that's very open and forthright public about our um, pro-life position. So, uh, but we know it's been, it's been a long, long process for even our case to move forward. But I, I hope this is hopeful to the people yeah. who are, are watching these things yeah. around the country. Right, right. And we ask people to continue to pray for the resolution that the Lord would be glorified in this somehow. And uh, so, you know, uh, just pray about this and see what happens. So thank you for that update on here. I want to talk about a gal named Randy Weingarten. Um, she's the head of the AFT, that's the American Federation of Teachers, and it's one of the two largest teachers unions in the nation. Of course, the NEA is the largest. That's the one that gets all the press. But she's the head of the AFT. Um, 
and so, and these two unions are some of the largest political players in the nation. And she is a lesbian, and she recently made the news outlets, including Fox, with a question that gets my vote for the most tone-deaf question ever regarding homeschooling versus public schools. And the people responded by giving her an education post-haze. Her question was, What's behind the increase in homeschooling? Well, the number one answer from conservatives, of course, was you are, followed very closely by look in the mirror, lady. Uh, Town Hall columnist Phil Holloway questioned why she turned off comments to her posts, citing she was afraid of the responses. He said you and the teachers unions sent public schools into a death, death spiral from which they may never recover. Another conservative uh, said she doesn't realize she's one of the greatest homeschooling advocates in American history. And DeSantis's office said the lack of introspection continues. Uh, she led the charge behind the uh, prolonged school closures. She, repor- uh, she supported a strict mask mandate well past the height of COVID. Uh, national test results in reading and math are at their lowest level since the early 90s. Oh, my goodness, uh, Julaine, the, the, like I said, the lack of self-awareness by the liberals never ceases to amaze me. What should we think about Randy Weingarten? And, um, I mean, are the public schools in a death spiral? Or are, is this just, uh, I don't know, I just was so entertained by this. Well, I would agree. Entertained is a good word for it. <laughs> um, look, uh, it, she she's, uh, as you said, she's an open lesbian. She's promoting that agenda. That's who she is. And they, they are very much, um, self-deceived. Yeah. They do not understand. I, look, seriously, I think so many of those people in the public ed- sector do not understand what is happening in the culture at large. They're in their bubble. Yeah. They, they see everything in their little, they, they're in an echo chamber too. And, and you see and hear everything within that context. You don't understand what is happening. Yeah. And, 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 it's self, it's self deceived. My goodness. They're, they're trouncing on parental rights. They're indoctrinating our kids. The, their scores are going down. They're producing, you know, they're young people who are not prepared to be productive citizens in our, in our country. And then they scratch their heads and say, why would homeschool be increasing? Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely the epitome of their lack of, of awareness of what's happening. Yeah. They are so immersed in the darkness of their ideology. And it is a darkness. Mm-hmm. And, and that they cannot see the light of truth. Yeah. And so they look around and go, huh, yeah. isn't that interesting? Yeah. Homeschooling. Wow. Yeah. Homeschooling. Yeah. You know? Why would anybody do that? Well, the number of homeschooled families went from 1.5 million children in 2019 to 2.7 million in 2023. And I, for one, am grateful. I mean, she's as clueless as the day is long, but so be it, because I just feel that parents, it was a great wake-up call for parents to realize what these masks and closures were doing to children. That was an incredible season of time where parents got more involved. And so I say, bring it on. Um, you know, her her <laughs> lack of self-awareness is is our great gain. And so I look at it in a little bit of a positive light, but I was, I when Fox had it on, I just... I, it just got my attention. I thought it was hilarious. So anyway, um, also, um, the state schools have released report cards, and I love this. The state is grading itself. I mean, there's a sheer, the, the sheer volume of data and endless spreadsheet pages about this will make your head explode. But um, Appleton and Madison, I read their reports. You know, oh, the schools, they meet expectations. Well, I don't know. Uh, maybe 
the expectations for schools should be raised a little bit. Julian, what do you think about these report cards? Because <laughs> they really don't change anything. The report cards don't do anything if a school fails out. Because Appleton didn't do that well. There's a couple of schools that uh, that came up as not meeting expectations, and Madison had one that too. So, but yet nothing ever changes. Is, am I getting that right, Julaine? Well, I think you are. But well. It, with, with an exception, what changes is the DPI changes the rating scale. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's part of the problem here, you know, to, because they had so many schools that were per, not at the level they needed them to be on those report cards. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so they adjusted the percentages for, you know, the scores, I should say, the range, um, you know, for proficient or performing up to standards or whatever the, the ranges are. They just kept playing with them until they got more schools to be in the acceptable sure. ranges. Right. And so, um, you know, but what we know is test scores continue to fail mm-hmm. or fall. And we have a, a literacy problem. We have a math and a, a reading problem that are very significant. Yes. And, you know, the state the legislature this year, I'm trying to think the status of this bill, but I think it, I think the governor may have signed. And I don't know if the governor signed it or not, but anyway, it was requiring schools to teach a, a phonics-based reading program. Wow. Well, because we're turning out non-readers. And so here you have the state. This is kind of like the fox guarding the hen house, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. The state designs the model, the designs the, the, the rubric for the grade card, for the scorecard or report card, sets the standards and then goes out and measures the schools against it. And if the schools don't measure up, well, then let's just change what we're doing here and change how it. So it, it's just, I'll tell you where you should look. For an honest report card, you should go to Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty and check out their school report card. They they are uh, they have done an honest look at it, and they don't keep messing around with with all of the ranges and the scores. And um, they also often offer a app, what they call an apples to apples com- apples to apples comparison of our voucher schools and the students in those voucher schools compared to their peers in the public schools. Hmm. So, and, and because they've got good people on staff that know how to do those kinds of things. And it gives us a much more accurate picture of what's happening in education in our state. And by the way, <clears throat> I'm 99.9% sure I'm right on this. The largest single um, area that receives the vast amount of the, the largest amount of tax dollars is education mm-hmm. in our state. We fund public education at an astronomical rate. And obviously, we also give money for higher education to the UW system. Right. That's our tax dollars. We have a right to know how our public schools are performing. What are they doing? They should be transparent. It should not be hard to get that kind of information. Right. Uh, we tried to make them more transparent. The governor vetoed that bill last last session. But um, it shouldn't be a secret, and it shouldn't be take a, musician, a magician or a wizard yes. to figure out how much we're spending and what kind of product we're getting. That's yes. called return on investment, and we're all entitled to it. Absolutely, and you'd think there'd be some independent way to get a, a, a good um, measure of how the schools are doing. I mean, that'd be the day that we actually find out that, that an independent company went through and did all this and cleaned all this up. I think we'd be in for a shock. But I also found it was interesting with the Appleton report, um, the charter schools, the top four schools in Appleton are charter schools. So I thought that was interesting, and none of the public schools measured as close yeah. as they did. So well, the, that's the way it goes. I mean, yeah. that, yeah. 
Those are the kinds of schools. Now, charter schools, there's two types of charter schools in Wisconsin. They're independent charter schools and they're charter schools that are tied to the public school. So okay, uh, those right. are, by the way, the independent charter schools are also part of that lawsuit that we just talked about. Oh. They want to get rid of those too. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> Didn't know that. They don't, uh. Mary, they don't believe there's any good school other than a public school. <laughs> That's hard for you and me to yeah, understand because that's such narrow thinking. Right. Right. Wow. So very interesting to see, um, you know, and parents have to, they have decisions to make more so than ever. And uh, uh, it's a difficult one. You know, should we homeschool, which I actually think is the best choice, but um, everybody has to do what the Lord is showing them to do for their families. And so we continue to lift up our uh, families and parents and all the decisions they have to make. Um, there's a primary. I know we don't have a lot of time left, and so um, we'll give you the last couple minutes here to talk about what you want to talk about. Uh, there's a spring primary election in February, just floating that out there so people understand. Is there anything that we should be looking at uh, with that coming up around the bend in 80 days or so? Okay, number one, we don't have any statewide election on our ballot this okay. year. So there would oh. not be any uh, DPI, or state superintendent of public instruction, or no, there's no judicial um, Supreme Court race this year. So if you have a primary, it would be for like mayor or city council or village or town board okay. or school board or something like that. And the best way to find out about that would be to, at some point, it'd be, it, right now is too early, but at myvote.wi.gov will let you know um, whether or not you will have a primary, you can look for that probably. Well, candidates have to declare that they're running by the first Monday in January. Okay. So I'm guessing it will be the second because it'll probably be Tuesday since January 1st is a Monday this year. But so we don't. But I wondered, Mary, did you want to talk about that little Ash Wabana flare up? <laughs> yes, we can certainly talk about that. You're talking about the the, the Satanic Temple's tree yeah. inclusion? Yeah, the Wisconsin Christmas Tree Festival. There's 66 decorated trees at the National Railroad Museum, which is a wonderful place. I've been there. But now we have, uh, uh, the museum is facing some backlash after its annual Christmas Tree Festival included some controversial entries this year um, with the satanic tree with the snake around the bottom. What in the world, Jelaine? It's, it's indicative of our culture. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I know the CEO of the museum said, we think it's an educational opportunity. I'm quoting her on that. And she said that uh, they are not, the museum doesn't discriminate. And I understand that. Now, the museum does not receive tax dollars, but they do receive federal money through grants. Okay. So they're, so, so could I just remind the museum that's tax dollars because mm. no unit of government has a dime to grant, to spend, to give, Anyway, without the taxpayers su- supplying it, that's <laughs> just yeah. a reality. But um, I, I, I think I find this fascinating, Mary. I, I think what what's happened here is that they have transgender trees there. They have this satanic tree there. Mm-hmm. Those trees don't represent anything about the holiday the, right. that brings about this festival of trees. Mm-hmm. And so I find them to be very, very inappropriate. Yes, but. In a freedom of religion country, where do you draw that line? Right. Where do you say you can have, you can do this, but you can't do that? We find that very difficult to do. Yes. So I think the losers in this, the losers are the families that would love to take their children to this beautiful museum to see these incredible trains and enjoy the trees that are not offensive. Right. Right. And they, they're going to have to either say, 
explain it all or not go. That They're the losers. And is it a target against Christianity? I would say absolutely. Sure it is. It's offensive to Christians, and it's a double standard. You couldn't do that with other faiths. Yep. But again, Christianity is always uh, you know, in the sight of these people who want to take shots at it. Jelaine, thank you so Ruth. much for coming You're- on, and we'll have you on again. I guess 2024 is probably the next time we'll talk to you. So okay. have a great Christmas season, and thank you so much. Thank you all. Merry Christmas to you, and God bless. God bless you, dear. All right. Another great hour with Jelaine. There's just so much we can always cover. This week we also have, oh, my, my voice is going, so this is perfect timing. JB this week, John Haller this week. Um, uh, tomorrow is a replay. And so we just uh, we invite you to stay with us the rest of the week for some great programs. Uh, and, uh, again, all through December we got some great, fresh podcasts.